As I always like to start my sermons with this, you know, with the story, I want to kind of just bring you guys in a little bit to my, my childhood. So growing up as a kid, my parents would go to the flea market on Saturdays and Sunday mornings. But they wouldn't go to buy. They actually went to go sell. So my mom was a nutritionist at one point, and she used to sell a product called Herbalife. Now, you may remember that. You may not. Maybe it's just showing my age. Um, but it was called Herbalife. And so they would go to the flea market, and they would put up their signs and their flyers, and they would share about their, their products. Well, my mom, you know, if y'all met my mom, she is a lively person. She would say she's shy, but I don't think she's shy at all. Okay. And she'll watch this later and tell me something later. That's okay. But here's the kicker. When she first started going to the flea market and selling these medicines that can make people well, she wouldn't talk about it to people. She would just pass out flyers and wait for someone to come to her table. And what I slowly saw, like, saw, like see my mom change was from being quiet, nervous, and timid to engaging like people she didn't know to actually communicating, hey, listen, if you have arthritis, if you have diabetes, if you have a stomach you know, flu, if you have back pain, if you have this, if you have that, you know, they're, they're doing like an infomercial sale of what she was selling. And she was so lively in her approach, communicating what she had. But to the point where she didn't care how she sounded. I mean, and what I mean by that is that she would express herself, you know, very, very like dramatically. Like, we have what you need, and we can help you, you know? Um, it's just like an infomercial, infomercial like you see on TV, right? So anyhow, what I'm trying to get to is this, is that she had no shame in proclaiming the medicine that she was selling because she knew that it could make people well. It didn't matter how she looked because she had a message, and she was going to deliver that message. Today, when we go to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. We're going to see early believers proclaiming a message regardless of what people believe. So let's go to the chapter. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. This is the Lord's word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, family. Gracious Father, as we're going into your word, Lord, and, 
And we're asking of you, Lord God, to reveal to us, Lord, this beautiful diamond, Lord. May we see the other side of this diamond and the different faces of this diamond, Lord. And may we see, Lord, how glorious, how awesome your word is, Lord, and how these early believers, these everyday people were moved to do extraordinary things. Lord, transform us, oh God, through your word. Transform us, oh Holy Spirit, from the inside out. May we not leave here the same and may every single day after this day be another transformed day for your glory, conforming us more into your son, Lord. We need of you because we cannot do it alone or by ourselves. Guide us, O Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we're seeing in this text is that these everyday people were sharing with everyday people. And what I mean by everyday people, I'm talking about no named Christians. When we read the text, you see it, it wasn't Peter, it wasn't John, it wasn't James that's listed here in starting this work of preaching the gospels to Gentiles, people outside God's will at one point in time, as we read in Ephesians. But now God is using a Jewish priest named Barnabas to go and preach the gospel to Gentiles. Well, I'm sorry, to encourage the brothers. But you have everyday believers who God used. And so what I want to do, family, is what I want to do is I want to highlight this. So many times we come and we gather in, in this building and, and we need to be reminded we are the church. But we also need to be reminded the people that were the world changers who changed things right side up were everyday people like you and me. Everyday people. They were reaching and preaching. And I want you to see this, family. If we can gather anything from this text, if we can look at the truth in this text, is that every single believer in this room that's been transformed by the grace of God is not a powerless, weak, mere, feeble Christian, but he's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. What does that mean? It means that you, me, your neighbor, the person next to you, I want to do this. I want you to look to your left and look to your right, okay? And I want you to tell your neighbor, you are a world changer. A world changer. Now, we may, we may say, oh, well, you know, okay, I don't know if I believe all that. But you know what, though? When we look at this text, that's what we see. No named Christians. They don't list anybody's name. But they're the ones, watch this, verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great multitude, a great number, who believed turned to the Lord. God's hand was upon that mission, blessing those everyday disciples 
Family, you are an everyday disciple. If you haven't come to understand that yet, then you've missed the point of what Jesus has done for you. See, God wants to channel his Holy Spirit power through you to be the world changer he's called you to be. And what it means is reaching everyday people where you're at. It doesn't mean you need to go to Africa or go to, to China and go plant a church. If God calls you there, then God bless you. Thank, praise Jesus. But it starts by sharing the gospel with your everyday neighbor and friend. But watch this, because we need to understand the context of this, of this text. The place in where they're at, Antioch, being the third largest city at the time, and the most culturally diverse city of its time. Because basically it was a city with all these different roads and a lot of people lived there. A lot of different cultures and a lot of different people. Does that sound a lot like Houston to you? Because you know in 2017, the LA Times said that Houston was the most diverse city in America. That makes us a hub. We are a central location of diversity. And these early believers reached out to people who did not look like them. They did not, they were not Jewish believers. They were not Jewish people. They were people of different color, of different cultures. I love, I love my wife and, um, and, and her culture. If y'all don't know, we kind of look the same color. I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit darker. But she's Mexican, and I'm a Salvadorian. And there's a big culture difference there. Huge. But you know what? I've come to embrace the Mexican culture. Amen, right, sister? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. They have awesome food. Man, thank you, Jesus, for food. Man, thank you, Lord. Awesome food. But you know what? The community, the culture. When you go to Mexico and you see the people, how they take care of the elderly. The elderly people will live in their house until the day they pass away. And when they pass away, they're going to have the viewing in their room probably or in the living room. Straight up. That's the culture. But they're so united. And I've come to embrace that culture. Had I been shut off to it saying, well... You know, I'm a Salvadorian, you're Mexican. I don't know if this can work out, but by God's grace, we've been married 11 years and counting. But see, yes, yes, thank you, Jesus. Okay, yes. But the point that I want to make is this. Houston being a diverse city with diverse people, God is using you to reach out to people who don't look like you. But you know what stops us sometimes is fear. We say, well, they don't look like me. They don't know my hurt. They don't know my pain. They don't know what I went through as a kid because they didn't grow up in Fifth Ward. Straight up, right? They didn't grow up in the north side. They don't know, they don't know what they're talking about. But you know what, though? What we see here in this text that's so beautiful and rich is that they did not withhold. These early believers did not withhold a message of hope to people who did not look like them. It's estimated to be around seven to eight different peoples and backgrounds that were in Antioch, probably more. 
They don't know. There's a lot of different people. But you know what? They shared the gospel with them. They saw people's lives transformed. And we say sometimes, well, you know what? I don't know if I can share the gospel with somebody because I don't know enough. I'm I'm scared they're going to ask me questions I don't have the answers to. I'm afraid that I will lose relationships and people that I know, that I might offend somebody's religion. And we become, we we get to the point where we start believing these lies that maybe we can't share. Well, you don't know what I went through this week and what I did and I don't know if God can forgive me for the things that I've done. He can't use someone like me. Do you know how broken I am? And so we believe these lies that we can't share the good news with people. Because, see, this is something I want us to understand from this text. They weren't out trying to reach different people on purpose. They were out to reach people in general. And the people that were there were just people that just didn't look like them. They didn't say, you know what, we need to get a Latino. We need to get a, a, you know, somebody that's chinito. We need to get somebody that's like this. They didn't do that. They just reached people, and that's what they were doing. And it just happened to be a diverse city. And what you have is the very first international church that came out of this. I'm going to tell you all something, family. Let us not come to believe the lies of the enemy that we cannot share the gospel with people who don't look like us. Maybe they're not social in the same social economical class as us. And maybe we say, you know what? There's going to be a, a, a distance and a gap, and it's going to be a little uncomfortable, and I don't know. You know, I'm being for real. I'll be the first one to tell you that I've struggled with that plenty of times. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm not a saint. By my own merit, I'm a saint because Jesus made me a saint. But at the end of the day, I will share my brokenness with you guys and what I struggle with. Because reaching people is messy. It's hard. It's not easy. But you know what's beautiful about that is when we see the life of Jesus and how he lived his life, dealing with disciples who to the day that he went and left, they still thought the kingdom was a physical kingdom that was going to come take place. They still missed the message. They still, they still didn't see it all. What's my point behind that? Is that God used everyday people to reach everyday people. And family, you, you guys are everyday people. The responsibility that you carry is a message, a hope that God has entrusted to you. You are to proclaim the gospel, to herald the gospel, to make much of Jesus, to bring hope to that person, man, who's lost all hope, to speak life into someone who's given up on their own life. God is using you as the agent of change. And to know that you guys You and you, all of us in this room, have something beautiful to proclaim. What God has done to bring man into the right relationship. You know, there's a story 
that I read that I really, it moved my heart. And I think it captures the point. There was a man driving at 3 a.m. in California down a road. He makes a left to go on the bridge that he normally would go on every single night. And all of a sudden, three taillights in front of him, they just disappeared. So he pulls off on the side of the road, and he looks, and he walks a little closer, and he sees a bridge is out. The bridge collapsed, and those three people had plummeted to their death while they were driving. This is a true story. So the man gets out of his car at 3 a.m., and as he sees cars passing by, he's waving them down. But we all know that if we see somebody at 3 o'clock in the morning waving their hands down, we're not going to stop, especially if you're in the north side. You're not definitely going to stop then, for real. And I'm just being real because I've seen too many stuff over here. Right? That's right. After he saw three people plummet to their death, he stops and says, you know what? I have to do something about this. So he was going to do something radical. He gets in the middle of the road, and he sees a bus coming. He just stands right dead, center of the road, looking down at that bus. The guy's honking his horn, flashing his lights, but he's not moving. In his mind, he's committed that if the bus is going to go, it's going to take him with him. The bus driver pulls over and sees the danger, and he gets out. And he turns the bus sideways so no one else would fall to their death. That's an example I got from J.D. Greer. That's a true story. Family, listen to me. People are headed down a road. The bridge is out. They have a penalty. The penalty is death. Every man and woman, all of us, fall short of God's glory. We are all sinners. And it's only God's grace that can save broken sinners and restore us back unto God. And you are the person in that road. And you have to ask yourself the question, will you stand and watch or are you willing to get in that road and do everything in your power to communicate the dangers that await? Family, listen to me. We're at war. We're at war. The enemy hates you. Maybe some of y'all didn't hear that. The enemy hates you. He wants you dead. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything about you. Everything about you he hates. The more you stay in the lie and believe that you're ineffective, that you have no power, you've bought into the lie. You have to stand and believe the truth of God's word, what he said already, that he would be with us until the day he comes back and that we're not alone. And that promised power is his Holy Spirit. You're the agent of change. You're not powerless. I say this, family, because there is such a need that we would know the truth. That we would know the truth, that we have the hope of truth 
in us to share. It's like watching someone fall to their death and we just stay there. And when I'm, I'll tell you what I'm not trying to do right now. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just telling you the reality of what truth is. That if they go, people die. Without Jesus, they are going to hell. It's a reality and it's a fact. We cannot stop someone. And I love what D.L. Moody says. Because so many, so many times people say, well, I can't do it. You're right. Look, none of us can do it. D.L. Moody said this once. And I love this. The greatest evangelist in the entire world is the Holy Spirit. Did y'all catch that? The greatest evangelist in the entire world is the Holy Spirit. Guess what he promised you? He promised you his spirit. You have the greatest evangelist that lives in every single believer because he gives you the words to speak at the exact moment. You don't need to believe the lies that I don't know enough about Jesus to share. Do you know Jesus died for your sins? Yeah. Do you know he died and rose again on the third day? Yeah. Do you know why he died for us? Yeah, because we're sinners and we need God's grace to save us. Guess what? You know everything you need to know. That's it. The Holy Spirit is the greatest evangelist in the entire world, and he lives in you. We've come to believe that we have no power, and this is the very lie the enemy wants us to believe. You know, I'm very convinced that this, this year in 2017 has been, a, in my opinion, a very, um, a very crazy year worldwide. A lot of people seeing stuff, and especially after Harvey, we saw a lot of families devastated. But you know what I was really encouraged by? was people helping people in the midst of everything. People literally laying down their lives to rescue people. Not just the first responders, but I'm talking about neighbors helping neighbors. And this was right before everything that happened with the whole race thing, right? And what the nation saw, what the nation saw was something different. It didn't matter if you were black, white, yellow, purple, blue, green, orange, and whatever color the rainbow you want to call it. But everybody came together to help one another. And that really encouraged my heart. If we can come together to respond to a natural disaster family, us, the body, we should come together for the same goal, the same mission that Jesus left us, was to go reach and save the lost, to be a diverse church. And the way we do that is reaching people who don't look like us. It might be your enemy. Would you be willing to help your enemy? Would you? Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. Maybe the power of God is not that strong that it can reach someone's heart like that. Or is that a lie? It's a lie. If God can change someone like Saul of Tarsus that was breathing out murderous threats against Christians, God can change anybody. We have to believe that, family. You know, one other, one other beautiful truth we can see in this text is that, that when people operate in their spiritual giftedness, there's something that happens. 
There's something that happens when you operate in your spiritual giftedness. And I know we don't talk about that often, but today I really want to make it a point. We're going to have a little interaction today. Just by a show of hands, does anybody, just by raising your hand, if you know what your spiritual gift is, just by raising your hand. Yeah, don't, don't need to be ashamed. It's okay. Okay? All right, now. Some of us know what our spiritual gifts are, and some of us don't. And one, one of the series that we're going to do, hopefully soon, is we're going to go through the entire book of Corinthians, and we'll talk about the spiritual gifts. But the reason why I bring that up is because right now we're going to see in verse 23 is someone with the gift of encouragement encouraging the work of God's grace that's taking place. In other words, he wasn't hating on what was going on. He was, he was congratulating. He was encouraging. He wouldn't say, man, how can God save these Gentile believers? No, he sees the work of God's grace taking place in their lives, and he congratulates, he encourages. Look at verse 23. This is Barnabas. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. His initial reaction was glad. He was happy. There was rejoicing in his heart. And he exhorted them all. He encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He spoke a word of encouragement. And you know what happens in that? Watch this. They're going to describe his character, but I want you to see what happens in verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Every single believer in this room is filled with the Holy Spirit. There is not one of us who does not have the Holy Spirit that is a believer. It's impossible. It is God's promise deposit. And a great, and a great many people were added to the Lord. When we operate and function in the gifts that God's given us for the building of his church, what we see is God moving and working for the glory and the manifestation of his truth, in the body of Christ. In other words, God is moving when we're trusting in him and the gifts that he's given us. It's not our power. It's not a gift that we're going to use for our own glory, but it glorifies God. If you could turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Listen, family, I'm going to tell you all something. Don't hold back what God's given you as a gift for your own glory. Don't do it. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Promise you, it don't work. You'll fall flat on your face and it will hurt. But God's grace and mercy still remain. Trust me, I know because I'm standing here. I'm saying that because I tried running my business and I, I put that first before God. And God showed me real quick what that looks like when I don't trust in him. 
flat on my face. Don't hold back what God's given you for yourself. Every single believer in this room, your gift is called to be used in the body of Christ to equip the saints for ministry. It's like a social worker that knows the good to help the people, but doesn't do anything with everything that she's learned or that he's learned. They stand back and watch and say, well, hopefully help will come to that family. Somebody will do something. That social worker has been trained to help someone. It's like a firefighter that watches the building burn and doesn't use any of his techniques or training to save the people. Family, listen to me. I don't want to sound like I'm rebuking you because that's not my, my, my intention. My intention is that I want us to know the truth that the Lord has sent us on mission to seek and save the lost, to use what he's given us for his glory, to make much of Jesus, to show people, man, you know what? You may feel like there's no hope in life and no one understands you and the brokenness that you've gone through and the hurt that you've been through, but you know what? Only God can. He's the one that's come to restore that which is broken, and he's done it, and he's made good on his promise by sending his son to die for your sins and mine. I like what verse 16 says in Ephesians chapter 4. When each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Listen, family. I am not the most organized person at times. There's people that I know that are more organized than me, more systematic. And you, you know what they do? We allow someone with that giftedness to structure something. For example, I'll give you a good example. There was a sister that wanted to organize information from an event that we did at Savor de Northside. We got all these cards and all this information, and she organized it for us. I would not have been the person to do that. I would have gotten those information cards and probably left them on my desk, honestly, and then try to, try to do something differently maybe a month later because I, I procrastinate. So at the end of the day, what I did was, what we did was, we said, you know what, let's give it to someone that has that ability. It may seem something simple, but she was operating in her giftedness to systematically categorize it. Listen, family, every, every one of you has a gift that God's given you. And all I want to do is encourage you to use that gift for God's glory. So if we can leave with anything today, is that everyday people share with everyday people, and that leads to extraordinary things. And then when we operate in our giftedness, God blesses that. And we can go out daringly. Is that a word, Brother Joseph, daringly? Is that something we're, okay, good, I'd, I'd confirm that. Daringly. Joshua 1.9 says to stand and be courageous. But in the Greek, when you look at that, it's more like the word daring, to be daring. I want us to be more daring for the gospel, willing to lay down our lives for the gospel, willing to share a message of hope. And if we get laughed at, then we get laughed at for the sake of Christ. If we lose friends, then we lose friends for the glory of Christ. If we get killed, huh, then we get killed for the glory of Christ. 
But every one of us in this room is equipped by the Holy Spirit. And to close up, these last verses in 27 and verse 30, when the prophet Agabus came down from Jerusalem and told of the famine, what you see is the body of Christ coming together. Look at what it says. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold. He's telling a prophecy of the future. By the Spirit, it wasn't his own, but by the Spirit, that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So watch the reaction. They don't, when they hear this future event coming, let me give you an example. What happens on the news when you see a hurricane coming? How do the stores look? They look empty. You don't see people standing out there saying, hey, I got you. Here you go. Here's 10 cases of water, a generator, and some food. You don't see, am I right? Or is it, maybe I'm just right. Am I right? You don't see that. Mm. I'm going to tell you a funny story real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to take a little curveball. So, man, this, this is going to sound bad at first, but it's not bad, I promise you. So when we heard the hurricane was coming, I was one of those guys that went to the store to get water. Like I said, it sounds bad at first. And uh, I actually went to the store, and they were limiting three, people, three cases of water per person. So then I, then I said, you know what? I go to Home Depot a lot, and I know they got a lot of water. So I went to Home Depot. Well, they weren't limiting people. And so I wanted to get enough water for my guys, my team members, and for their families. And then also, I wanted to get a pallet of, oh, man, that sounds bad, a pallet of water for, for our neighborhood. Now, what that looked like was like this. Here comes the guy in the store. He bought the whole pallet by the door. Then he buys another pallet in the back. And they load this all in my company truck. And it says Natural Wonders Landscaping. And so all you could do is see people taking pictures and asking questions and making smart remarks. It looked really bad. I'm telling you, it looked really bad. Because it looked like one guy taking all the water is what it looked like, you know? And so this one guy says, man, why are you taking so much water for yourself? What about us? And I said, brother, listen, this water isn't for me. This water is for the people of our community because they maybe can get out to get water. And guess where that water is? Y'all know where that water is at? If you walk behind here, you know where it's at. It's right here. It's all right there. It's all right there. We've given out cases of water to families and people that needed it. Listen, family. It looked bad at the moment, but my heart intent was to help those. My reaction wasn't, I need to go get water for me and my family. It was like, man, I need to get water for the people that I know, the people that I don't know in our community and get water. Their initial reaction wasn't fear, wasn't running away. It didn't say, and they all left, and they all went to go get three donkeys and horses and grain to store up for four years for a famine. That's not what it says. It says that the disciples determined everyone, everyone, according to his ability to send relief. Isn't that the gospel? 
to put someone's needs before yours? To lay down your life so the man in front of you can live? Man, I love my, my Marine. I have some Marine brothers, man. I love those brothers, man. Man, they're just so, with, man, with the word and how they love Jesus, man. And when you meet some veterans that have been in combat, and when, when, when you say lay down your life for another man, man, it's like their eyes change. And like there's this place of passion they speak from. And they could tell you, man, I know what it means to lay down my life. And let me tell you a couple of stories. Family, you will have those same stories when you do the simple task of putting other people's needs before yours. Sacrificial giving. Sacrificial loving. So I'll close with this, family. How do we apply this scripture to our lives? The first thing we see is that because there were no name apostles doing the work of an evangelist, because some people say, man, only evangelists are called to preach the word. No, it's every, every, everybody because they all have the Holy Spirit. But the disciples were discipled to speak and preach about Jesus. So that means we need discipleship. The life of a follower of Jesus is meant to be in relationship. You cannot do Christianity on your own. You can't be out on your own as a lone wolf. Get into community. In community, you will discover the gifts God's given you because you will see them come up and then people will affirm. They will say, you know what? I see this in you. And God will sharpen that. Use that for his glory. Getting discipled. Getting into a home group, which I will say it now. We will be transitioning over the name from home group to missional community group. I'll say that again. Home group will no longer be called home group. It's going to be called missional community groups with the intent of being missional. Get into a missional community group. Relying on Holy Spirit power. We must pray and believe and believe and pray. We must pray and believe and believe and pray that God can move in the lives of people. We have to identify the people around us who don't look like us at all to share the gospel with and intercede for them, pray for them, invest in them, invite them, not to church on Sunday. You can if you want to, but you know how that sounds to someone when you say, hey, let's go to church on Sunday? What's the reaction? Uh, mm, um, I got something going on Sundays. Oh, yeah, what are you doing? Man, I'm watching football at my house. Oh, okay. You know? It sounds weird for them. Invite them to your everyday rhythm of life. Hey, man, we're having a barbecue, brother. You want to come over? I got the game on. I'll be there. Be there. Invest. Invest. Invite to everyday rhythms of life. And I leave with this, family. 
when we see what these men were doing, the reason behind what they were doing, the reason why they came preaching and speaking of Jesus is because they knew that those men needed the gospel. If today you find yourself needing hope that you have not trusted in Jesus, that you've walked away from Jesus, he's called all men and women to repent, to turn to him, to trust in him, to believe upon his words that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can go to the Father except through the Son. There is no better evangelist in the entire world than the Holy Spirit family. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have brought this this message at this time, Lord, for a people like us. Lord God, that you would use this church here, this body, Lord, this church body here to be a reflection of the Antioch church of a diverse group of people because all we need to do is look around and we see different people of different color, of different backgrounds from economical backgrounds to to just, just their culture, Lord. Lord, move our hearts, Lord, to share the gospel, Lord. Everyone in this room, Lord, that you would remind them that they're the agent of change, that they are your ambassadors that proclaim and herald your your promises, Lord, of your message of redemption, of reconciliation, of renewal, that they would know that they're not powerless, but they're empowered in Powered by your spirit. Set a fire in their hearts, oh God, for the urgency of the mission, knowing that it's not them on their strength, that the mission is dependent upon them because it's not. It's because of your spirit leading them, Lord by the power of your spirit, giving them words to speak. Cast out the fear from their hearts. Cast out the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, the lies of the enemy. They've come to believe, oh God, would you change a group of people like us, Lord, to be more missional-minded with heaven's heaven's mindset, Lord, of being that diverse church in Revelation chapter 7, Lord people of different tribes, nation, and tongues, proclaiming and worshiping the very Son of God, the Lamb of God. Father, let this not just be words falling on deaf ears. Plant the seed of the gospel in the heart that needs to receive it this morning. Reignite our passion, Lord, for your mission. Reignite our hearts, Lord, to believe your word. Let not the circumstances in our lives determine our relationship with you, but let us base it off a promise who you called us already before time began. Forgive us, Father, for not believing, for not trusting, 
for not doing what you called us to do. We repent, Lord. Lead our hearts to that repentance. Let it not just be words spoken. Lead our hearts to repent from my idleness of not doing anything while the bridge is out in front of the people. Holy Spirit, fire. We ask, oh God, that that fire that burned within those disciples on that road to Emmaus be in our hearts, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Father. Amen.